Hi, I'm Natalie Wood, arable agronomist at Yara. If you've drilled oilseed, ensure you've got the key micronutrients for optimal growth this autumn. An application of Yaravita Brastrol Pro gives average yield increases of a third of a ton per hectare. To learn more, visit yara.co.uk. Hello and welcome to this Over the Farm Gate Policy Special Podcast, brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host this week, Farmers Guardian Chief Reporter Abby Kay. Don't forget to stay up to date with all Farmers Guardian's latest podcasts, subscribe through your favourite platform, whether that's Spotify, Google, Apple or Stitcher. This week we're taking a closer look at afforestation. Governments across the UK have introduced tree planting targets in a bid to support native insects, birds and other animals and, of course, meet their net zero ambitions. But there is mounting evidence that woodland creation schemes are being used to pay for tree planting on land bought by outside investors to offset emissions, shutting down opportunities for farmers to buy land and driving prices up. Then there are the separate questions of whether government tree planting schemes are attractive to farmers and whether the right trees are being planted in the right places. Here with us to discuss these complicated issues, we have Douglas Bell, Managing Director at the Scottish Tenant Farmers Association, Farmers Union of Wales Policy Officer to Larry Fielden and Ian Davis, a livestock farmer from Hatfield and member of the Farming Forum Grassroots Group. Doug, I'll come to you first. I think everyone agrees the principle of planting trees is a good thing, but are you concerned that government tree planting targets could have some unintended negative consequences? Thanks, Abby. Yeah, unfortunately, I think we're already seeing unintended consequences which really have the potential to have far-reaching economic, environmental and social impacts. Um, like everyone, I agree that planting trees in general is a good thing, um, but your comment about the right trees in the right place, although it sounds like a bit of a cliche, is absolutely critical. Um, up here in Scotland, we have Scottish Government targets for new planting of currently 12,000 hectares a year, and that's going to rise to 18,000 hectares by 24-25. And from my point of view, that's 44,500 less acres of agricultural land per year. And in percentage terms, it's not a huge reduction. But um, when you start to look at it, it's equivalent to 160 odd average size holdings in, in Scotland. But more than that, I think while the absolute area being lost to farming is a concern, the real issue is where the trees are going. And up up here in Scotland, we're, we're increasingly seeing whole farms being planted on a commercial basis with very little scope, little or no scope, for integration with farming activities. We've already seen inflated land prices that, you know, because, because of uh, acquisitions for forestry, and that's pushing um, agricultural land um, out of the reach of commercial farmers. It's restricting the opportunities for new entrants even further. And again, just personally, an illustration from me is the farm next door to my own came on the market last year, the top four offers were from non-farming investors looking to plant as much of the farm as possible. Local farmers trying to buy the farm had had very little uh, chance to get a, an opportunity. And I suppose just to add to that, we're seeing the biggest impacts in the marginal areas um, and some land values have just about doubled uh, in those areas, but we're actually now starting to see very productive land being turned over to trees as well. And so I think from the tenant farmers uh, perspective, um, we can we, we see these trees and they probably help us address climate change and ultimately provide an economic boost in 40 or 50 years time. But currently they're starting to displace farming activity rather than working in tandem with it. 
and we feel that that's a, a major concern and 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 probably needs a, a, a change in, in thinking and a change in policy. Um, we also just wanted to flag that environmentalists are starting to question the wisdom of such a drive for afforestation as well up here. Large areas of Sitka spruce monoculture is probably not uh, going to help biodiversity. Um, and also a lot of the grassland that's currently being planted is actually quite high in, in carbon. Um, and in terms of climate change and mitigation, diversity and environment and general environmental benefit, that might have been better served or society might have been better served anyway in leaving it in grassland. Um, and again, just 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 to 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 finalise just now, um, I think the, the the big picture is that there is a, a risk if we undermine our own farming industry through through massive afforestation, we'll end up offshoring our emissions um, and then potentially actually increasing the carbon footprint of the the food we eat. Some really big issues there. So, Louis, it's not just government tree planting targets, is it, though? We're now in a situation where some big, well-known businesses are buying up land to plant trees so they can offset emissions. What impact is this having on farms in Wales? Yeah, I'd absolutely echo Doug's, Doug's points, really, in terms of what's happening here in Wales. And FEW, it seems to be quite a fast-moving situation that we're having to deal with. We're getting sort of weekly reports from from members and, and other people in, in the in the community that are concerned about it about whole farms being being bought up and and I think that the, the trouble is as well as it is giving tree planting a bad name it's it's being associated with our members as a as a land grab really um and to rub salt into the wound that they, they are actually quite regularly being planted with Welsh government money for glass and woodland creation and, and other grants so you've got an additional sort of wealth extraction from from Wales going on there and we've looked into the figures and, you know, the, the, the average area that these addresses from outside of Wales are planting up, they, they've been four times and then six times as, as, as high as those being planted within Wales. So, and obviously, exactly as Doug was saying, that the impact then um, on the wider local rural economy, because, you know, the gross value added of agriculture is about 150% higher than, than that of forestry. So, of course, it's going to have an impact. And, and just seeing agricultural land being lost really and and our our members being outbid on on their next door neighbour's farm. Ian what are your thoughts on these corporate carbon offsetting schemes do you think they actually provide any real environmental value? Hmm that's probably the uh the biggest issue that the government need to get their heads around um I have serious concerns about the whole idea of offsetting uh I think it's been demonstrated and, and very much so by the, the sixth IPCC report that came out last month that um, that we really need to get serious now about climate change if we're going to avoid uh, two degree C temperature rise. And in order to do that, the, the report made it very clear that what we actually need to do is to cut our carbon emissions. Um, it talked about the the opportunity to use a, a dramatic cut in methane to buy us some time to do it. But the, the problem with offsets is that in most cases they're being used by, or certainly appear to, to, my, to me to be being used by big businesses to avoid having to actually face up to their, their carbon uh, emissions from fossil sources. So it, it has the, the distinct potential to... Um, to be part of the problem rather than part of the solution. Um, 
there's also, of course, the big question about just how effective they are at delivering the offsets that uh, the, the carbon offsetting that uh, that's claimed for them. There's uh, at least one report that I've seen recently. It was conducted by Carbon Plan for Microsoft, where they've uh, they've assessed the delivery of a lot of these schemes. And for the California Forest Service, the biggest um, recipient of public funds for uh, carbon capture through forestry, they concluded, having done a full assessment of it, that they'd actually could only captured something like 60% of what they claimed they had. So there are some big issues there to, to look at. Um, and as, as Doug and Teleri have already said, there's so much money coming in behind this, um, corporate money, in an attempt to, to help these companies um, push back the urgent need to address their underlying fossil carbon use, that, uh, that it's distorting so many other markets. So Larry, we know in the not too distant past, tree planting drives have actually caused environmental damage with peatlands, bogs and moorlands planted with conifers. You can still see some of those plantations in Wales. Are you confident that lessons have finally been learned about planting the right trees in the right places? Well, I mean, the, the, the term right tree in the right place is being used much more now. So that that gives you hope. But I think from seeing the the real the increased focus on tree planting targets and Welsh government have upped their tree planting targets to sort of 5,000 hectares a year. Um, and we're only planting around 200 at the moment. So it's a big step change. It'll be a big increase. Um, and we're concerned that the CCC recommended that to achieve this, it needed to be about one third broadleaves and two third conifers. Um, and that really concerns our members because, you know, many of them next door have got a, a, a plantation where there was a little tuthin, a little cottage that used to be a farm sort of being bogged down by conifers around it so absolutely we, we don't want to see that again and and I think exactly as you say there's all those trade-offs involved you know there's there's plenty of studies that show that the biodiversity value of, of monocultural conifers is is very very low and they also harbour a lot of predators that makes you know we in Wales we're really struggling ground nesting birds um, so yeah, I think we we a lot of our members we really want to see more emphasis on on soils and heathland and peatland being being part of the part of the solution to this. Um, so yeah, let's hope for right tree, right place. Doug, you represent the Scottish TFA, as I said in the introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about how tenant farmers in particular are being affected by private and public forestation plants? Are they being harder hit than owner occupiers? Yeah, I think there's potential for them to be harder hit. And I think the specific impacts for tenants are really twofold. Um, firstly, as is often the case, um, farming tenants can find themselves squeezed out when opportunities arise for owners and landlords to generate income through alternative land use or indeed sell that land on to others. Um, uh, many landlords are now viewing forestry as an attractive alternative to tenant farming. Uh, achieving better returns. Um, so for a number of years now, we've seen upland and hill farms, especially when they, when they come out of tenancies, they are frequently being, being planted. And now additionally, we're seeing some limited partnership and limited duration tenancies here being brought to an early end, specifically to make way for trees. And I suppose in these scenarios, um, as we drive towards uh, more and more tree planting, it's the tenants and their families who are are the losers here 
tenancies are being cut short. They're having to find new homes and new occupations, uh, and they're suffering that upheaval in their life. Um, I think increasingly as well, we have a worry that politicians and policymakers now appear to see the demise of tenancy opportunities, partly driven through afforestation targets as being acceptable collateral damage. And that's a, that's a, a real concern for, for tenant farmers. I suppose the second aspect that I would highlight is that tenants are quite often restricted uh, with regard to what they can do on their farms um, with tree planting. We've agreed that tree planting is generally a good thing, provided the trees are in the, in the right place. But sometimes tenants, because of the conditions of the lease, find it quite difficult to, to take advantage of the, the planting schemes that are on offer. There's also a concern that very, very often these leases stipulate that the, the, the lay of the land is for agriculture and that doesn't include um, planting trees. And then you get to the concerns at the end of a tenancy, revaluations, has, ha, does a block of trees enhance the land value or is the tenant facing um, dilapidations because they've reduced the value of the, of the farm? So all of that just makes it a more complex um, issue for, for tenant farmers. But our biggest concern is that they gets, they're getting squeezed out. Um, there's a big enough shortage of land uh, available to, to rent and this drive to, to plant trees is, is actually reducing that further. Have you been wondering if your maize is ready to harvest yet? It's really important that you cut it at the optimal time to maximise quality and to age storage in the clump. With modern varieties that stay green and with more variable weather, it can be difficult to get this right. But don't worry, just download the LG Maze Manager app. The harvest tool will lead you through a simple test in the field that will tell you when the maize crop is ready to harvest. It also includes a wealth of advice on the best varieties to use next season. Search LG Maze Manager in your app store today. Ian, as a farmer yourself, would you join the England Woodland Creation Offer? That's the scheme designed to encourage farmers and land managers to plant trees in England. <laughs> um, ironic laughter, yes. Um, <laughs> interesting what uh, that Doug brought up the issue about land values. Um, the, the situation at the moment that we're all talking about is uh, targeting of relatively low value land to be planted up with uh, with commercial woodland, uh, both for harvesting and for the carbon offsets. Um, in the traditional traditional uplands, the the low value areas of the U low land value areas of the UK, um, that stacks up. But in an area like this, we're in a in the commuter belt, twenty miles north of London. We're looking at a typical land value down here of perhaps um, 10 to 12,000 an acre. Um, the current woodland offer doesn't come anywhere near offsetting the, the drop in land value that would be if the land was put into trees and then sterilized in trees. Um, people who've planted trees in the past have found that uh, when they came to do anything with those trees, the only grounds on which um, the Forestry Commission would issue a felling license 
was with a condition of replanting. So once the land's gone into trees, it's going to stay there. And some would, would quite rightly say that if the intention is for carbon sequestration, that's a good thing. But it does mean that at the point that you enter the land into, um, into tree planting, there is a change in the potential market value of the land. And here that just isn't covered by the England Wood Creation Offer. So the lack of nuance in the scheme, um, the fact that it doesn't really address this, in my view, targets all of the, um, the tree planting on the lower value areas of the UK and risks completely distorting the delivery of the government's target of 30,000 hectares a year of tree planting, which is such a shame because um, if every farm planted sensitively, then trees could actually be such a positive part of the farmed landscape. Now, I'm a keen advocate of silver pasture. I would dearly love to get more trees in amongst our pasture for the, the benefits it delivers for the cattle. Um, but that doesn't fit into any of the schemes that are on offer. So they're, they, they're all based on a minimum, I think it's 0 0.2 hectares of, of trees as a block. So uh, yeah, there are, there are lots of issues in amongst all that, but at the moment, the scheme is definitely not attractive to me. Do you think your views are shared more widely in the farming community? And if so, do you think it'll have an impact on England's ability to meet its tree planting target? As you know, I, uh, I'm very active on the farming forum and I asked this specific question uh, just to gauge the feeling of farmers from around the country. And the, the issue that I mentioned about land becoming um, permanently tied to trees was one that came out very strongly. People saying that they had no trust or confidence that if their situation changed and they needed some of that land back out of trees for producing food, that they would be allowed to do that. So I think there is an awful lot of, um, of nuance missing from the scheme. Uh, and that at the moment, it works for some landscapes in terms of uh, encouraging planting, but not for others. And do you think that will have an impact on England's ability to meet its target? Absolutely. I think we risk turning um, upland Wales and northern Scotland into um, ecological wastelands of pines and the rest of the, the UK entirely missing its tree planting targets. In fact, it's interesting that um, I, I read a comment uh, earlier in the year where John Deere are talking about rationalising their dealer network and someone made the comment that they'd, they'd heard a senior uh, John Deere member of staff say, oh well in future Scotland will only be trees north of Perth so we won't, we'll be um, targeting it for forestry equipment rather than for uh, agricultural equipment. So it's not just farmers thinking that way. Wow, I wonder, do you have any thoughts on that Doug? Yeah, frightening, frightening concept. Um, we've we've probably got quite a long way to go before that 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 vision is is it becomes a reality. But uh, just the fact that people are thinking along those lines is 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 a major concern. Um, um, we've got some pretty good arable land north of, north north of Perth as well. Um, so whether that's uh, to been seen as uh, expendable uh, going forward uh, is, is a major concern but 
Yeah, I, I mean, I share a lot of what Ian said. I think in terms of the the design of of schemes and and one of the big things for us at the minute, for from a farmer's perspective, is that the the grant rates available are just not adequate to cover the costs of planting smaller uh, areas of woodland, um, and they're they're more they're more designed for for um, for, for for big areas and uh, commercial planting. So. There is a real there's a real issue uh, in terms of the the way farmers are viewing the the woodland scheme, uh, but one of the main barriers is it's you know it's it's still costing far too much for for small smaller areas to be planted up. Um, I think where you know there is there is a lot of a general belief that planting trees is a good thing as we, as we've discussed, um, but there is that that scepticism among Scottish farmers that you know that the current um, regime is just not going to deliver. Um, by all accounts, Scottish government are you know they're well they're past their twelve thousand hectares target um, for this year. Um, so you know the the big picture is yes, you know lots of trees being planted, but again we come back to what type of plantations they, they, they are and how much of that is farm-based woodland, uh, agroforestry, silviculture, everything else that's, that's been mentioned, and how much of it is um, large-scale commercial plant plantations. Larry, I think I can probably guess your answer to this question from your earlier comments, but do you sense that same scepticism about tree planting schemes among farmers in Wales? I do, yeah. I mean, it's frustrating for a lot of our members because those that really want to plant trees and, and, and have planted a lot of trees in the past, they, they do still face a lot of barriers to, to tree planting. Um, so, you know, the, the sort of hedges and edges way of doing things doesn't seem to be factored into the the, the tree planting schemes or, or the government grants. So, they try and get they try and do the right thing and then come up against various sort of it you know you'll have a very very short time scale to plant in or um various sort of administrative barriers really but i think it's the it's the wider debate that that sort of really darkens um their view of tree planting here it's the fact that you know if an if an airline can buy a farm and plant it with trees and and use that as greenwashing to claim that they're good for the environment it's very frustrating for farmers then to to hear the following day in the news that apparently it's our cattle grazing amongst these pastures that are at fault. Um, so I think the wider debate doesn't help. And especially obviously now with what we're seeing and what we've all discussed in terms of the land grab issue. Um, but yeah, I think what's frustrating is obviously that we're trying to do the right thing, coming up against barriers um, and then still being blamed for the for the fallout. Yeah, just just to add to that to Larry, I think I think it's really unfortunate that conversations often degenerate into farming ver versus forestry, rather than about integrating the two, which is clearly the the sensible way forward. But that that's really the reality that we're facing uh, for all the reasons that you've just mentioned. Um, you know the pressures that that farmers are feeling. They you know there is there is a little bit of a backs to the wall um, mentality comes in, and so you end up you know with this uh, you know very very uh, limited uh, discussion in terms of taking things forward from a tree planting perspective yeah absolutely and, and we had quite an impassioned member the other day saying you know this this in terms of the carbon offsetting debate you know this he thought it was horrible he said this shouldn't be about money this should be about doing the right thing and and, and making our farms better in all sorts of different ways so 
it does it ends up becoming quite a philosophical debate when actually farmers just want more a bit more woodland on their on their farms ironic isn't it that uh, the the development of sfi is supposedly about delivering multiple public goods um obviously sfi is only appropriate for england at the moment um uh, and yet we are talking about the vast majority of the forestry that's going ahead at the moment being very much just about um production of uh, commercial forestry and carbon sequestration payments when if it was much more diverse plantings and much smaller um more frequent plantings then we would maximize what the ecologists call the edge effect um where the vast majority of biodiversity occurs on the on the edges of changes in different types of landscape yeah and no, i was just i was just um part 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 of that uh, backs to the wall uh, mindset i was talking about is you know it gets exacerbated when you see the outside capital coming in uh, and preventing farming opportunities as as we've discussed and you know for me um you know the the development of the natural or green capital market whatever you want to call it is 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 a real threat there's opportunities there for the industry but it's a real threat as well um for me when a new market which is new and fast developing or whatever you want to call it uh, starts to emerge there are always individuals and organizations out there trying to capitalize in the situation and trading in carbon tra- credits is in its infancy um and there's not much of a legal framework there to protect farmers or farmland, um, and I think that just adds to the the feeling that that um, events are overtaking um, farmers, and they've got very little say in it, and they're, they're kind of powerless to 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 influence their own their own future a little bit, which does doesn't help uh, people planning their business and and trying to deal with the rest of the uncertainty that we're we're facing at the moment with markets and everything else so it's just that that sense of of um powerlessness i think uh, just adds to the adds adds to the equation I, I would um fully support that but i would also add that the carbon price is only going to go in one direction from here under the pressure that's being applied to um to address our climate change um and at the moment we're looking at somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds a ton for carbon offsetting um as the scientific rigor of the offsetting scheme starts to get looked at more and more closely then the cheap schemes are going to fall by the wayside those that um that clearly don't actually deliver sustainable long-term carbon sequestration which means that the the offset price is going to go up substantially and that of course will drive um this whole issue of the disconnect between farm uh, farmland values for farm productivity and values for planting with trees even further it could ultimately get to the point where even down here where i am um planting for trees starts to compete with um with some of the the less dense development sites. Ian, on a related note, how do you think the government can improve its tree planting schemes then to make them more attractive to farmers like you? Oh, that's a really difficult one because if you just if you just raise the uh, the finance on offer, then all that will happen is it will continue to be planted on the cheap land where it is now, but there'll be more profit taken from it. So I would suggest in some way it needs to be a 
price that's targeted according to the details of the landscape that you're looking to put it into. Uh, if you want to encourage someone in Hertfordshire to plant land into trees, then you need to be offering significantly more to offset the costs of doing that in term, terms of the actual planting, but also the potential loss in land value than you do for a site in, as Tulare's been talking about in Wales or Doug in Scotland in on, up in the uplands. Um, and I don't know that the government has the um, the nuance and the 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 detailed approach to deal with that at the moment. And what about corporate carbon offsetting schemes, Tulare? How do we make them better or mitigate their impact on farmers? Yeah, this is something we've been discussing a lot recently at FEW. And it was just interesting, Ian, that you were quoting their sort of 30, 50 pound a turn. We've been sort of being quoted six to 12 pound a turn on the voluntary carbon market. So I think it shows the it shows the variation at the moment and, and that that lack of governance, really. Obviously, we've got the, the Peatland Code and the Woodland Carbon Code, which works across England, Scotland and Wales. But that, you know, that you have heard people say it is still a wild west out there. Um, what we've been discussing is, is something that government are going to have to grapple with as well, is the fact that with the tree planting schemes, if companies from outside of Wales or even outside of the UK are, are, are planting trees on Welsh farmland and then selling the offsets themselves or using them to offset their own businesses, really that is not going to help Wales achieve their, their net zero ambition um, and equally for farmers that are selling um, their carbon credits, they can't use those that carbon themselves either. So we've been grappling with the issue of whether there needs to be some sort of ring fence or, or quota or control system so that the farm has to achieve net zero itself first. Then those additional credits could go towards helping Welsh agriculture or agriculture achieve its net zero ambition and then the country can use it and then after that it can go out onto the open market which is it's a really difficult thing but we're trying to grapple with it now but the trouble is is that say for suppliers of Morrisons who have got a net zero by 2030 ambition they're having more and more pressure to achieve net zero themselves as a farming business um, so then if they have already sold the credits it's not available for that farm so we're just being quite cautious about it and, and sort of trying to get farms to think that they need, you know, make sure that you don't sell the family silver, so to speak, you know, sort out our own businesses first. Um, and I think governance will have to come into it much better. And also companies are going to have to realise that first and foremost, they've got to reduce their emissions. Um, they can't, we can't offset our way out of this. Absolutely. It's, it's crazy that, as you said earlier to Larry, that an airline can claim to be carbon neutral by buying a few trees. Um, even the issue about um, about tree planting as an offset, um, if you if you pay if you fly today and pay for someone in a cheap part of the world to plant a few trees, is that genuinely offsetting the carbon you emit in your flight today? It's probably going to be ten years before those trees actually sequester a significant amount of carbon. Um, but ironically, in order to to uh, avoid that problem you would have to buy trees that were planted 10 years ago well those plant trees have already been planted so you're not adding anything there's no net addition by doing it so there's there's all sorts of difficulties around this and 
Doug was right to say that um, carbon trading and carbon offset offsetting is literally at the Wild West stage at the moment. The thing that's missing from it all is rigor. Um, the the reason that we're talking about such varied prices, Teleri talking about £12 a tonne, um, me talking about 50 plus, um, is, is all about uh, the certainty and the long-term stability of the carbon that's been sequestered. If you're talking about a scheme that's based entirely on modelled carbon sequestration, where some of the assumptions may be quite weak and leading to the sort of things that Carbon Plan found with the um, Californian forests, where actually they're not delivering anything like as much as they're claiming, then yeah, the price is going to be low. But if you start insisting on um, detailed scientific assessments and academic rigour and a, a proof that the, um, the carbon is sequestered for a minimum of 100 years, then we could be talking about carbon prices of well over £100 a tonne. And the comparison, if you move away, if you compare it to, um, to non-nature-based uh, carbon sequestration, the, uh, the demonstration sites that are running around the world at the moment doing engineered carbon capture and storage, um, creating liquid carbon and pumping it back underground, typical prices for that at the moment are of the order of £10,000 a tonne to £100,000 a tonne, which just isn't economic for anybody. There is no market for that. No company will pay that. No company will pay that. Um, and therefore, who will pay for it if that's what's necessary? So trees have to be part of the answer. But we've also got to be very careful not to miss, again, what Doug said earlier, that um, a lot of our landscapes already sequester a lot of carbon in what we're doing. Well-managed grazing land sequesters, debatably, as much as or more than an awful lot of forestry. And yet we're talking about taking the grazing out and planting trees on it. So it, it's it's a very, very big issue, this one about the rigour of actually what's being delivered. Mm. A lot of our members find that really frustrating that the, the credits are only sold on additionality, aren't they? So as you say, all the good work that's being done now in our permanent pastures, and they don't count because they're, they're, they're not additional. They can't be proven um, that they're obviously being counted already. So I think that's really frustrating because it's basically, it, I had a member ask me the other day, well, all right, then I'll, I'll plough it all up and I'll, I'll sell carbon credits to do min till and cover crops for the next five years then, which is obviously <laughs> not, what, not what, we want to, what we want to happen. But And I, I think that exactly like you're saying, that brings in a wider issue of, of the sort of price of carbon. And if you think that this is happening very quickly for us here in the UK, it, it does make you wonder what's going on in developing countries where, the carbon credits are, are much cheaper for companies to buy now. Um, and the expense of, of, of these carbon credits are because of proving the additionality and, and the permanence and, and verifying it. So what, you know, is it even more of a wild west out there, which I think all of this is concerning for our farmers, but what about those in other places as well? Doug, do you have any thoughts on how carbon, corporate carbon offsetting schemes could be improved? Yeah, I, I mean, I echo a lot of what Tillery and Ian have said already. Um, that lack of rigor, the lack of evidence base that that you, that, that exists at the minute um, makes it very difficult to to justify anything other than being, I suppose, credited for 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 making changes. Um, personally, I think regulation of that natural capital market will be really ch challenging for government. I don't know if they've got the appetite to 
to, to tackle it at the minute. Um, but I think what we can do is continue to lobby to ensure that at least taxpayers' money is, is, I suppose, being used to promote tree planting, which actually delivers for climate change biodiversity and doesn't undermine the capacity for sustainable food production. So, you know, maybe I'm being a bit pessimistic, but I think that that rigour and regulation that Ian talked about there is probably quite a long way off. um, And there's going to be a lot of water flows under the bridge, so to speak, before we can get regulation in the marketplace. But what we can do at the minute is make sure that taxpayers' money is not used to exacerbate the situation. Uh, And I think there's a real risk that 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 is actually happening at the minute, which is pretty nice if you're a, a, a big business or a financial institution or whatever that's taken advantage of all of this, but it doesn't make an awful lot of sense from a, a farming perspective or a farming industry perspective. Um, we need to try and get a more balanced approach really before it's too late and time is of the essence. Um, but, you know, there are there are opportunities there for policymakers to, to, to tweak schemes and adjust schemes and maybe even introduce limits to the area of commercial conifers that are included um, I, I, and get a bit more focus, but it, it really, a really, you know, time is of the essence, I suppose, Abby. Effective regulation is going to be key to all of this, as, as Doug hints. Um, I would draw the similarity with the financial crisis of 2008, where the banking system virtually collapsed, um, largely because some incredibly intelligent um individuals within the banking system had come up with a system whereby they could take on very risky investments and spread the load to everybody else and make big profits from it. Um, There's a distinct parallel between that and what's happening with the forestry carbon offsets, um, carbon trading at the moment. There's a a distinct asymmetry between us as farmers looking at um, sequestering extra carbon on our farms and the, um, the the mines working at very high um, remuneration for some of these big businesses, working out how they can make best use of the system that, as it stands at the moment for them, um, playing the system as, as much as they can and, and coming up with, um, with if, what we would call greenwash, uh, but something that uh, allows them to to carry on with their business as usual, pretty much, but claim to be meeting all of these targets. I was just going to say that's been going on for a while in terms of the the tax savings which have been available for uh, people planting planting land uh, and trees. But Ian totally agree. That's you know these these very clever people have now moved it on, and you know the tax advantages are are being augmented by the development of the the green capital market as well. So it's a bit of a double whammy. This is such a fascinating discussion and I'm really reluctant to draw it to a close, but I do think that's about all we've got time for this week. Um, thank you to all of our guests, Douglas Bell, to, to Larry Fielding and Ian Davis for a great discussion. And thank you to you, our listeners. We hope you enjoyed the show. We will, of course, be back soon with more, but in the meantime, why not subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes of Over the Farm Gate? Until next week, from us at FG, thank you for listening. Goodbye for now.